Verses 15 to 33, which we'll just get into, we'll, we'll, we'll deal with one parable, the parable of um, talents or the parable of bags of gold, however you want to look at it. So getting right into it then, if we go to the first slide, we get to the first illustration. Also guys, bear in mind, like I was saying in the prayer, it's just, we've seen Matthew's, just, I mean, it's such an amazing book. I mean, we see the birth of Christ, we see the ministry of John the Baptist, the ministry of Jesus, his disciples coming about, and, and his initial you know, preaching and teaching, the miracles, all the wonderful things. And, and in and amongst it, he, he, never, he never pulled punches. He was never dishonest about the reality, the reality that we're in as, as humanity, you know, as, in, the, in our predicament as, as, as people. He's, he's never pulled back any punches, but now he's at the end, he's getting right to it. He's getting right to it. And, and again, he's answering the questions the disciples have asked him about the end times and about his return. And he's, and he's warning us. And so these warnings are very intense. And they're very serious. And it should be taken very seriously. Um, and so because of that, they, they aren't the, the most pleasant things to think about. Because they are very intense. They're a wake-up call. And it's not just a wake-up call for the unrepentant, the unsaved. It's a wake-up call for everyone, for the church as well as the unchurched. And like I noted last week, you know, Jesus definitely wrote a letter to the church and, and, and encouraged them to wake up, to wake up. So again, if this is the times, these days of Noah, if this is the times we're living in, then this certainly is a time for us to really set up, to wake up, and to have a disposition or a mentality of being awake, to reach out, to be on guard. That's, 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 that's the message, you know, be on guard, to be watchful, on guard, to be watchful. And that's very much so the message that we're looking at today. So let's get right into it. The illustration, the bags of gold. And I put this question just to kind of wonder, you know, as I looked at this. Is this about investment? So is this about you investing your talents and your material goods, you know, whatever it is these bags of golds are, you know, whatever this is that God has given to you, to me, to us. And I, and I think this is quite individual. I know some portions of scriptures are, look, they look at the church in a general sense, but I think this is quite personal, these, these, these messages. Very personal. And so, and he's even using terms like a person, a servant, a man. So there's, it is very individual, very personal. And so because of that, again, we have to look at ourselves and not at others. And so I wonder, is he talking about pure investments? Like God's given you things, whatever, talents or, or calling, um, resources, however you want to look at it. How are you investing it? I also look at this as maybe just faithfulness. God has given you life. He's given you opportunity. Are you faithful in following him? Are you faithful in your pursuit of him? Or is this just about obedience? If God's asked you to do something, are you resisting him? 
Are you being like a spoiled little kid who says, no, dad? Or are you going, okay, okay, whatever, dad. I, I don't like what you're asking me to do, but I'm going to do it anyways. And that's, I think, what we're looking at when we look at these bags of gold or talents, as they, is, is written in the King James and the New American Standard. So it says in Matthew 15, or 25, rather, verse 14, again, and the word again, in context, another way we can write this, other translations say, for it is just like. So the it, again, it, or the for it is just like, the it part of it, points back in context to at that time, which we see in verse 1, which obviously points back to what Christ is teaching. What is he illustrating? He's illustrating what he is teaching. And what he's teaching it comes from chapter 24, which is the time in which he's describing the time in which he's going to return. His return is coming back. So this is talking about the end time, the times in which we are waiting, the time, what it's going to be like when he returns. And so a lot of these illustrations have like this anticipation of waiting for someone to return. When it was the bridesmaid, they were waiting for the coming or the return of the bridegroom. Here we see a waiting for the master who has entrusted to his servants his wealth. So again, it'll be like a man going on a journey who calls his servants. Again, the idea of servants, and he used this earlier as well, servants. These are the ones who are meant to serve the Lord, meant to serve the master. You know, there's a relationship here. A servant. And so that's why I asked, who then is a servant? And I already asked this last week. I'm going to ask it again this week. Is it the Pharisees? Is it the apostate church? You know, who's he rebuking here? Is it the liberal church? Or is it simply just everyone? So we, we should add ourselves to this list. Am I this servant or am I that servant? I think that's a safe Question to ask. Am I this servant? Am I that servant? Rather than saying, well, certainly he's talking about someone else, like the Pharisees or the apostate church or the liberal church. I'm not that. I'm a good church person. But let's not just assume it. Let's be really critical. That's why I think we should do when we handle God's word is be very critical. Not critical of the word necessarily, but critical of ourselves. It is ourselves who need to change. We need to conform to the word. So here we have these servants who God has entrusted his wealth. Okay? Servants. Here is my wealth. Here's my resources. Here's my spirit. Here is my will. I'm giving it to you. Now go. And we're going to see three responses. Well, actually, we see two responses. <laughs> two positive ones and one negative one. So there are two different responses, positive and negative. But, but there's a different quantity or even quality of the different responses. To the one he gave five bags of gold. Again, like I said earlier, gold Bags of gold. Another translation, like the King James or New American, has, calls it a talent, which is a sum of money, a measure of money. It's a weight. And so that's why some translations call it a bag of gold. It's a weight. It's a sum of money. But I think it's interesting that it's called talents. Because when today we, think we use the word talents to refer to your abilities or skills. And here we do see that this is attached to your ability. Because it, it goes on to say, to another two bags and to another one bag, each according to his ability. So whatever that resource is, it's attached to your ability. So God says, I made you, I know what you can do, and this is what I'm calling you to do. It's, he knows, that, that the, the master knows that the servant can do it. That's why he delegated, that's why he chose that servant. I chose you to have five 
bags because I know that you can't handle it. I chose you to have two bags because I know according to your ability, your skill set, you can handle it. And then for the one, I kind of wonder what he's thinking. He probably assumed he's going to waste it away. So I'm just going to give you one because I don't want you to waste away too much of my money. But he knows what you can and cannot do. So here, take it. Now look at the responses. Look what, has, what happens with, these, with these, these three fellas. One with five bags, one with two bags, and one with one bag. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went and at once. I like his attitude. He didn't just ponder. He didn't just contemplate. He didn't just procrastinate. He went at once. He knew what needed to happen, and he did it. He went at once. I like the idea of urgency here. He went at once, and he put his money to work. I like that. He put his money to work. He, made, he, he did something with it, and, it, and he reaped profits. It multiplied. He gained five bags. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But, and here's the sad thing, and I think this is the, the, the point, really, the message. I don't, I don't think the point of the message is how good for those other two fellas. I think the point of this message is how sad this other fella is and don't fall into this trap. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. So there's the story. There's, that's what's happening. That's what's going on. In the next slide, and I call this Christian hedonism. Again, what is he talking about here? When he talks about these talents or these gold, bags of gold. Again, it's what God has trusted you. It's what God has given to you and to me. Opportunities, spiritual gifts, a calling, um, just simple obedience, faithfulness. I don't, know how, we, we, I don't care how you want to describe it in your own heads. But I think God's telling you right now in your heart exactly what your bag of gold is. I know, I, know, I know he's speaking to our hearts. And we might all have a different way of looking at it. And we might even disagree. But I think you know deep down in your heart what it is that God's speaking to you about what your talent or bag of gold is. And, and, and I think when it comes to like doing, obeying God, it works best for yourself. That's why I call this, this passage Christian hedonism. <laughs> to, to, and and, and just to define what I mean by Christian hedonism, I put this little thing on the bottom here. Serving others does one good. So when you serve other people, ultimately you're serving yourself in a Christian sense because we are all bound by the same spiritual body. I was going to put a little little plaque here. It talks about, you know, you know, to... To, you know, I can't remember what the phrase was, but basically it, the idea of caring for your body, you know, and, and here, if we care for the spiritual body, the body of Christ, so care for one another, ultimately we're caring for ourselves because we are part of that same body. So Romans 12, 38 says this, for by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to. What keeps us from serving the body is a lot of times pride. I, I need to be served. I don't want to serve. I need to be served. I think I deserve a break. I deserve to be served because I'm great. So don't think highly of yourself than you ought to, but rather think of yourself with a sober judgment, which basically means just have a clear level head. Okay? Stop pumping yourself up. Think of yourself in, in, in true Light, with a sober mind, sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. 
For just as each of us has one body with many members, so he's again comparing the body. Each of us have a body, and our bodies are made up of various components, like a liver, a heart, a mind, you know, system, bones, muscles, tendons. You know, the, it works well together when it works well. Okay, one body with many members. And these members do not have all the same function. Okay, obviously our body parts, you know, all the different L parts of it do different things. And they have different functions and purposes for the benefit of the whole body. So in Christ, we through many form one body. We through many. And I'm not talking about just us here, but we're all over the place. Christ's body is scattered all through the world. There's only one church, guys. Only one church. Only one body of Christ. We, we happen to be a part of that. And that's awesome. So even as cornerstone, we ask ourselves, how do we function in this body? As individuals, we ask, how do we function within the body? So in Christ, we, though many, form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. So again, in an individual sense, we all have different gifts and talents. And then when we work together, you know, we, we like to see these things actualized. And even as cornerstone, we tend to have a kind of gift. You know, we, we kind of have, have a thing that we, 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 we're really good at doing, you know. And so that kind of, that gift, if you will, we should use it, you know, to bless the rest of the body of Christ. So each of us, Different gifts. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So I just threw this in there because I wonder what is the gift? What is, what is, what is, the, what is the bag of gold that Jesus is talking about here? What is this talent that Jesus is talking about in this illustration. And I wonder if it has something to do with these gifts. I wonder. And that's why I threw that in there. So, so, so think about that. Consider that as we go on to the next slide. And in the next slide, I kind of titled it with, with 1 Thessalonians 5.3, which again, it gives a sense of urgency. You see, it says here again, we've visited already, while people are saying peace and safety. You know, the idea, Christ is going to come. Things are going to be as it is. There's no change. Nothing's going nothing to be different. Christ won't really come and make big changes. I mean, there's not going to be nothing like, certainly like a, a divine judgment upon us. I mean, things are going to be as it is, right? But when we say peace and safety, or when they say peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly. And this is from 1 Thessalonians 5.3. Um, the reason why I'm, pre- I'm, I'm prefacing this next passage with that because it's a, it's a, I think it's, it's pertinent to what Jesus is talking about here. And so we go on in Matthew 25, 19, and it says this, after a long time. Again, there's this idea, well, the master is never going to come back, so we're safe, we're fine, let's just go on as we go. Let's not change, let's not be moved to repentance, let's not be moved to obedience to the master, let's just, we've been chancing it for all this time, let's keep chancing it. After a long time, the master, though, however, returned to settle accounts. And the man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. uh, And he says, Master, he said, you entrust me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Now, 
Guys, a good illustration needs to be felt, okay? A good illustration needs to be felt. So put yourself in the servant's feet, okay? Imagine you're this fella. Imagine Christ came now, and you were that fella with five, turned into five more, turned into ten. And imagine sharing with Jesus, our Lord. Imagine being able to share with the master's happiness. You put your foot, yourself in the servant's feet and, and feel what, would he, what it would be like to be that fella. Feel the satisfaction of presenting these talents to the master. You know, I mean, I don't know about you, but I remember when I was a kid, you know, doing something to please my teacher or to please my parents. Maybe you just get all giddy and I'd get goosebumps, right? There's thing about being able to, 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 to serve authority and to, and to bring a smile to their face. Like, yes, I've won some, you know, I want some recognition from this person I look up to. This is great. I mean, this is fantastic feeling, you know, and I want to be that fella. And the two-bag fella is pretty cool as well. <laughs> Not as cool as a five-bag fella, but still pretty cool. So you might be a five-bag fella or a five-bag woman. You might be a two-bag Man, or a two-bag woman. But you know what? They're still very pleasant. Look at the two-bag fella. The man who had two bags of gold also came and said, Master, you have entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I put you in charge of many things. Isn't that cool? You've been faithful to those two little things, but I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Oh, awesome. I mean, don't we like the idea of having a promotion? <laughs> Isn't that sound like a fun, exciting, the opportunity, the thrill, the challenge? You know, the, the, the being able to be a, big, a part of the big picture in a more, you know, big way, in a more fantastic way, in a more, whoa, I get more responsibilities, I get more authority. Ooh, there's an excitement. It's, it serves the soul so well. Again, Try to sympathize, or empathize, rather, with the servant. Try to feel what he feels. Try to put yourself in their shoes. That sounds awesome. Come, share with your master's happiness. Now, unfortunately, good illustrations meant to be felt. Those are some booty good, positive feelings, and I want to feel those feelings when the Lord comes. There's also negative feelings that could be felt, and Jesus wants to get this in our head. That's why he's teaching us this. So then he goes on to say, then the man who had received one bag of gold, he says, Master, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seeds. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. Now, what we see here is classic excuse giving techniques. You see, I didn't do what you asked me to do. And here is, well, my excuse. Right? We all know this. We all know how this goes. And Jesus did a very fine job in developing it. So as we look at the next slide, we'll look at the folly of this one-bagged servant, as I call them. What's the, what's the mistake he made here? Okay? First of all, I put the word he probably did not know his master. The reason I put probably instead of emphatically is because later on he goes on to say, but if you knew this about me, then you would should have done something about it. So... I don't know if he's being ironic or not when we get to that portion. So that's why I'm putting he probably didn't really know his master. Because I know my master, and he's graceful, he's merciful. And if he asks me to do something and I mess up, he's going to give me the grace to get up and keep going. 
I don't have to be afraid of serving my master because he gives me the grace and the mercy and even the power by the Holy Spirit to do what I need to get done. All I need to do is be obedient and faithful to him. I don't have to be worried about messing up because he will help me out when I need help. So that's why I say he, this the one bag fella probably didn't know his master very well. I knew that you were a hard man. You see, my master isn't a hard man. <sighs> Number two, he likely, again, like probably, he likely, not emphatically, but likely misrepresented his master. Harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seeds. Number three, rather than revering, which means moved by respect for, because God is God, I'm going to do what he says. That's what reverence is all about. It's moved by deep respect and honor. So rather than revering him, he was scared, stifled by his misunderstanding. Because he really didn't know his master, he was stifled. And so he said, I was afraid. Why didn't you do what I asked you to do? Because I was stifled because of my misunderstanding. We need to know the master. We need to know that he's full of grace and power. And what he asks us is good. And what he gives us is good. And, and, and the feeling of being able to, to see him someday and say, look, God, what I've done with what you've given to me is fantastic. There's no need to be afraid. There's no need to be scared. Reverence is one thing. But being stifled with misunderstanding is another. Number four, he acted irresponsibly. And this is the bottom line, in my opinion. He acted irresponsibly. Immature. Irresponsible. He went out and he hid the gold in the ground. He didn't even try. And so to this, I put this kind of quote. This is my this is my opinion of this fellow, the one back fellow. This is kind of, after looking at all these things, I kind of quoted him in, in modern context. <laughs> Oops. Uh, oh well. You can't blame me. It's all your fault, God. It's all your fault, Master, because you see, after all, you made me this way. And you know I'm like this. I mean, you know I'm like this. You know I'd do this. So why did you even give me one bag? You should give me nothing. You know that I can't be trusted with stuff. And stuff. <laughs> so you'll just have to get over it, God. <laughs> you know, you got to get over it, Master. Because you know I'm like this. And so, come on, default mercy, default grace. Right? Is that what's going to happen here? Right? Well, let's find out. Next slide. Wrong. Sorry, this is bad news Bible study, I know. <laughs> but it's not, don't blame it on me. Blame it on Jesus. He preached it. I'm just re regurgitating it. <laughs> Jesus says, all of the discourse, this is him preaching here, Matthew 25, 26 to 30, his master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have sown and gather where I have not scattered seeds. So you know this about me. Oh, okay. Then why didn't you at least do, if, I, if you're that afraid of me, why didn't you at least do the minimum? And put your money into a bank and at least gain interest off of it. Right? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit the bankers. So that when I have returned, I would have received it back with interest. You could at least on that instead of just hiding in the dirt. But the bottom line is this servant was wicked and lazy. Couldn't even bother doing that. 
So take the bag of gold from him. I don't know who he's talking to here, but it's probably angels. I don't know. Other people. I don't know. Take the bag of gold from him. Give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more. And they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Okay, this does hurt. This does hurt. I understand this, guys. This does hurt. I don't want to be this guy. So again, I need to try to empathize. Sorry, my tongue doesn't work sometimes. Again, I need to empathize with the servant. I need to feel what he feels. And what is he feeling here? Probably deep regret and remorse. Probably deep sadness. I don't want to be this man when Jesus comes back. Now, does it make you afraid? Does it make me afraid? Well, this is why Jesus is telling us to be on guard. This is why he's telling us to be watchful. And this is exactly the point Jesus is making. He's illustrating his point. Matthew 24, Matthew 25, he's making a point. He's illustrating it, and he's illustrating it very well. It's almost too well. It's uncomfortably well. Please be on guard. Please be aware. Please be watchful. Try to empathize with this guy. You don't want to be him. I don't want to be him. Could it get worse? Maybe it can't get worse, because he goes on to say, and throw that worthless servant out. Into the darkness, where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Again, is he talking about here hell here? I don't know. A lot of commentators will say yes. I don't know. But what I do know is this. I don't want to be where he's going. The idea in the illustration is he's in a home, right? And here, he, they're making a count. And, and, and maybe he's being thrown out. He's being fired. I don't want your services anymore. Because you don't do what you're hired to do. You're an insubordinate. So get out of the house. So now he's out of the house and he has deep regret. He's crying. He's weeping. He's gnashing his teeth. He's angry. He's frustrated. Deep regret. Deep remorse. Jesus is telling us this for a reason. I don't want to be like this. And so I will be prayerful. I'll be mindful. I want to be on guard. I want to be watchful. I want to be prepared. When he comes back, the master. And I do believe in context, he's talking about himself. And he goes on to say in the next section, and we're just going to touch on it for a little bit. And I'm going to, like I said, I want to develop it more next week because I, I can't do it enough justice squashing it in the next five minutes. So the next slide, it says, and I title this one, King Jesus. Because that's who we're talking about here. He's the master. He's the, he, here is the master, King Jesus. And the reality is, there is going to be a separation. Um, again, we'll have to develop this in, next week more, but we'll at least get an idea this, this morning of what he's, what's going to kind of happen when he returns. Matthew 25, 31 says this, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. So first of all, we have the man, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, coming in glory, sitting on a glorious throne. A throne is meant for a king. A king makes decisions. He executes judgment. He makes decisions, executive decisions, right? So glory, I put the word, what's glory? And I put, I kind of define this relative judgment. Because here we know Jesus comes to judge. And the word glory actually refers to judgment in, in a certain sense, but in a very positive sense. The word is doxa, 
opinion, judgment, view, opinion, estimate, whether good or bad concerning someone. So when you talk about the word glory, it's making a judgment. But in the New Testament, it's always used in good sense, good opinion concerning one, resulting in praise, honor, and glory, splendor, brightness. So if you're going to make a judgment about Jesus, it's going to be always a good one. Jesus is always good. His glory is bright. It is good. It, there's no flaw. There's no error in Christ. So when he comes and sits on his throne, it's going to be perfection from him. I understand we all make mistakes, but don't you glad that he has covered our mistakes with his blood? See what I'm saying? So we're, we're, we're not saved by our perfection. We're saved by his perfection. But we got to receive the gift and we need to follow after you know, after him and according to his will. So all the nations. What's that mean, nations? Well, the word nations is ethnos, which is where we get the word ethnic from, right? Ethnic people, ethnos. All the tribes, nations, and other people groups. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates. My gosh, that's the. As a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. So there will be a separation. Again, I'll leave it to your imagination. What is happening here? But here's a word for separates to mark off from others by boundaries, to limit. To separate. It's used in a good sense and it also can be used in a bad sense. In the bad sense, it means to exclude as disreputable. In a good sense, to appoint, set apart for some purpose. And when we use this, when we talk about kind of like um, to be, um, um, like, like the word sacred, to be set apart, yeah? To be set apart, to use for holiness. And we talk about ourselves. We are as, 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 as God's people are saints in a sense that we're set apart to serve God and, you know, to serve him, to be different from other people. So this is a separation in a good sense. But we also have the separation in a bad sense. So here we have the sheeps and the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. What exactly he's going to do with the sheep and the goats, maybe we'll find out next week. I don't know. Maybe we'll have to just keep using our imagination. The point he's trying to make here is we, we kind of want to be separated and put in the good camp because the bad camp's full of remorse and regret. So we have just a couple of slides, and these ones I'm just going to blow through because it's other verses that relate to what we're... Wow, that is a good projector. I can even see the errors of my um, dodgy edits. <laughs> so... Uh, again, you know, I've, I've mentioned this fellow before. Years ago, I was talking to a guy um, who claims to be a Christian man, and he's very arrogant. He was, he was totally not a Christian, but he, he, he was trying to instruct me on Christianity. <laughs> oh, really? You know those kind of guys? Oh, tell me about Christianity from a non-Christian perspective. Because I don't know anything about Christianity. I've only been a Christian for a majority of my life. And I serve as a pastor, and you know, so I don't know much about Christianity. So illuminate. Tell me all about God. You know, I love those kind of people, you know, arrogant. But he once told me that, you know, God isn't really a judge. You know, God's not interested in judging, you know. He's, you know, he, that, that's not really. And I'm like, well, how do you know that? Well, I just, I thought about it. Oh, okay, I'm glad you thought about it. Because the Bible kind of disagrees with your thoughts. I don't know if you're interested in knowing what the Bible has to say. So it was an interesting conversation. So I put a few verses here. 
from all over the Bible concerning the future judgment from God. Psalm 96.13 says, Let all creation rejoice with the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth, and he will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Psalm 98.9 says this, Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people with equity. Now, look at these psalms. There's a lot of kind of happiness and cheer going on here. When you think of judgment, you think, whoa, this is nasty. (coughs) Why are you happy about judgment? The reason why we're happy about judgment is because we don't have to be afraid of judgment. If you belong to him, you don't have to be afraid. If you are his people, you don't have to be afraid of judgment. In fact, judgment's a good thing because judgment cleans the place up. Without judgment, it stays rotten. Without judgment, it stays wicked. Without judgment, the, the, the situation stays dire. We need God to come and fix the world. (laughs) We need God to come and fix the problem. So we like judgment, as long as we're on the right side of it. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? As long as we can benefit from the good that comes from wiping out sin and wiping out wickedness. If we live for sin and wickedness, of course we're going to be afraid. But if we want these things away and we don't like seeing sin in our life, we don't like seeing wickedness in our life, we don't want it no more, then we welcome Judgment, because we want to, to, to live in peace finally. Acts 17.30 says this, In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people of word to repent. We talk about repentance quite a bit. It's a big part of the Christian walk and Christian lifestyle is to repent, to see wrong and to change. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he had appointed. He has given proof to this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Next slide. Still not convinced? There's a couple more verses. Romans 14.10 says, You then, why do you judge your brothers and sisters? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says, Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. And finally, and we're going to end on a bit of a word of encouragement. Guys, be encouraged. Be encouraged because, I see, we don't have to be that one bagged fella. We don't have to be. We can have confidence in our salvation. We have confidence in our place with God. We can have it. We can be like those five and two bagged people. God might not give us a whole lot, but we can honor God with what he's given us. And we can reap the joys and the benefits of doing it. Look at what Peter says here in 2 Peter 3.10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear. They roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Wow. Okay, that's pretty scary. <laughs> you want to talk about God's judgment. There's God's judgment in like some serious like 3D. I mean, he's going to come and he's going to wipe out the world. We know that's a scary thought for those who are afraid of these things. 
But since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought, I like the word ought, it's a good ethical term, what kind of people ought you to be? You have ethical and you have normative. You may not be this person, but you ought to be this person. Repentance is a big part of Christian life. Maybe we should change. So you ought to what? Live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heavens. We, we, he, we actually probably have like a like a you know a physical you know like universal heat death here. This <laughs> is proper physics right here. You know, equilibrium of the world, of the universe itself. It just literally melts, falls apart. But in keeping with His promise, I love it. Again, I was, I was going to put another rainbow here, but I ran out of time. Because remember, rainbows mean promises, right? God's promise, but in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. Listen, when I look at my jacked up body and my messed up brain and my big fat gut and my circumstances and my, you know, the things I deal with that, you know, I'm glad that I don't have to deal with this for, for eternity. I'm glad there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth without Wickedness, without sin, without pain, without error. Speaking of error, that's another thing I have to deal with. Dodgy computers and dodgy technology falling apart. And you trust in technology and it breaks on you. <laughs> I mean, you don't have to deal with that no more in the new heavens and the new earth. No more error, no more corruption, no more rust, no more failure, no more pain. Ugh, you know. So then, dear friends. So then, dear friends, since you're looking forward to this, Make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. So why is he waiting so long to return? Because salvation is happening, guys, right here, right now. And this is a part of our talent, our part of our responsibilities, our bag of gold, is to give the message to those in our lives those in the community of shots in the area, those that are work, those who God put into our path. But salvation's still happening. If Christ hasn't returned, then salvation's still happening. That's why he's waiting. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on guard. Here is the message again that we're learning. That Jesus, here's the point Jesus himself is trying to make this morning. We need to be on guard. We need to be on watch so that you may not be carried away by the air of lawless and fall from your secure position. But instead we need to, and this is a big, that's why I highlighted this and bolded it. And this is a big part of our vision at Cornerstone is to grow. We want to grow together. We want to be there to help each other to grow. We want to make sure that we are growing. We don't want to be religious. We don't want to be stagnant. We want to grow but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen.